0: Hey everyone, we have received exceptional support for the Diaries Plus. It means so much to us. It's been a tough year for us. We're down on sponsors, but you keep lifting us up and making this show possible. And because of that, we get to keep making more cool shows for you. So today we're releasing a new series on Diaries Plus called Good Good Bad. Trips, adventures, and fiascos that define our lives. On New Year's Eve 2023... Mason Gravely slid a stand-up paddleboard into the tannin-stained waters of Lake Okeechobee and embarked on an adventure he's been dreaming of for years, an unsupported crossing of one of our country's biggest lakes. Between the weather, toxic algae, and alligators, he was told it was preposterous. But Mason's journey was a culmination of years of Florida adventures and a passion for conservation. Here's a little taste of the first Good Good Bad episode, Alligator Lake wherever you are is an adventurous place to people that aren't from there and so it's like i'll be honest right now at this point in my life i would never leave within an hour or two of my home if i could and i'd probably that's probably going to change at some point but right now that's like my reality and i did not see that coming like i i would have laughed at you if you you said that's the way you're going to think in 5 years and so it, it all of us have to go through it like oh adventure is elsewhere or life and fulfillment and what we're looking for is elsewhere. And I think part of maturing and just part of just living this life is one going through that. And two, <laughs> realizing everything you need is right here. You know? How many times have people told us that? But it, it takes learning it yourself, you know. Subscribe to Plus now for the full story and access to all new episodes. As always, thank you for your support.
1: Now, on to the show. I distinctly remember driving back, it was quite a windy mountain road through to where I lived. I was going reasonably fast and I was fighting the urge to just let go of the steering wheel. I mean, that was, it was really like difficult to fight that urge.
0: This is Tom Ireson. He'd just gone through a nasty breakup and it had knocked him into a downward spiral.
1: My life plans were sort of all linked to our relationship. That had all changed and I didn't really know what I was doing with my life. It it really felt like the rug had been pulled from underneath me and I couldn't see what direction to go in to make myself better. I was drinking a lot, I was smoking a lot. I never really was going climbing unless I had to for work. So all my free time was just spent abusing my body really
0: (laughs) but looking up from the bottom of a big enough hole perspective has a way of getting distorted and from his version of rock bottom tom looked up and latched onto an
1: idea that from any other angle would have looked absurd i really needed something to focus my mind on to pull me out of that and about the biggest thing i could think of was to go and try and do a new route on a big wall
0: not just any big wall a big wall on the other side of the world in a remote and wild valley called Cochamo, Chile. A ridiculous objective, even for someone with far more experience than Tom. But sometimes it takes a goal that far out of reach to distract you. Today, our producer, Jen Altschul, brings you PicaFloor, a story about how when you find yourself at the bottom of an impossibly deep hole, sometimes it takes an equally impossible goal to pull yourself out of it. I'm Fitzgerald and you're listening to the Dirtbag Diaries.
2: Tom was living in El Choro, Spain, working as a cook at the Olive Branch Bed and Breakfast when he set his sights on Cochamo. It was a place he'd only heard of, and seen in photographs, and a few years earlier, he'd met one of the people who runs the main campsite in the valley.
1: He said to me the Yosemite of South America, and that stuck in my head.
2: If you look up images of Cochimo, it does look like the Yosemite of South America. Three thousand foot granite domes soar up out of either side of a valley, carpeted in dense jungle.
1: There's condors circling around. There's ancient trees covered in ivy, which has almost turned into a tree of its own. And then in between those, there's ancient bamboo thickets that you just can't push through. If you deviate from a path, you know because you just can't move forward.
2: Cochamo Valley sits nestled into the northern end of Chilean Patagonia almost a 1,000 miles north of El Shaltan, the valley of strong winds, short weather windows, and wicked approaches, where most climbers go when they talk about going to Patagonia. But while El Shaltan offers the luxury of rooms to rent in town to wait out bad weather, Cochimo's main climber camp, La Junta, requires a three- to four-hour hike in. Climbers schlep in food and gear on their backs or hire horses to pack their loads. The opening lines on the webpage dedicated to rock climbing reads... This is not a beginner area. Extensive experience on multi-pitch trad routes is required. There is no rescue, nor medical services. The domes themselves sit deceptively far away from camp, the scale distorted by the size of the landscape. Most approaches take between two and five hours. Lines that look like splitter cracks from the ground often reveal themselves to be choked with thick vegetation and flared. Even for an experienced big wall climber, establishing a new route that tops out one of Cochumoe's spectacular formations would make for a proud undertaking. Given Tom's level of experience, it was nothing short of absurd.
1: I went to Yosemite once and failed pretty miserably.
2: He and his partner had attempted El Cap's Salathe wall. They made it to ledges, 11 pitches up of the 35, admitted they were unprepared and wrapped back to the ground.
1: That was the only time I'd ever slept in a portal ledge. That was the only time that I'd ever done a multi-day route.
2: Tom had worked as a climbing guide in El Choro for four years. He had climbed some hard sport routes, established a couple of single-pitch trad routes, and done some basic aid climbing. A very respectable climbing resume by many standards. But thin, at best, for what he planned to undertake. (laughs)
1: The first thing that I did was set a date.
2: January 11th, 2016. That gave him just under two years to plan and save money. Between the climbing gear, plane tickets, and the time off work, expeditions aren't cheap. So Tom started picking up extra shifts at the restaurant. On his days off, he guided.
1: It took up my entire brain. All the time that I was working, I was thinking about it. All the time that I had free, I was researching it. And that left very little space for me to think about anything else. That focus was part of what allowed me to get back to a more of a normal state of being.
2: Tom spent hours online, clicking through photographs of Cochimo, he picked out a few domes he thought might hold promise for his F.A. The specific route, he figured, he'd find once he got there. Then, Tom began to assemble a team for his expedition. A couple of guys who had come to work at the Olive Branch signed on. A guy named Ben, who had done a number of first ascents in the Alps. And Matt, a solid trad climber and filmmaker who wanted to document their ascent. Then, Ben's girlfriend, Agata, joined the team, And a Norwegian engineer named Martin, who Tom had met on a sport climbing trip to Piedra Parada in Argentina. The final member of Tom's team showed up to work at the olive branch about nine months into his planning. Her name was Claire.
1: And it was one of them attractions that just couldn't really be resisted.
2: (laughs) Claire was a small girl covered in bright tattoos. She and Tom shared the same twisted sense of humor, and the two of them hit it off immediately.
1: I think the day that I actually won her over, I walked into her room wearing some leopard print black and white spandex, and just caught her totally unawares, and she knew that I was the guy for her.
2: (laughs) But after his last relationship, Tom knew a little more about what he needed for himself.
1: I said to her right away, like, "I've got this project that I need to do. I'm going to be away for three months. I'm going to do this thing, and it's not going to change." And I mean, she was like totally fine with it straight away. And very quickly, she was into coming out with me as well.
2: Six months before the team was set to fly to Chile, the first obstacles arose. Claire developed red skin syndrome, a condition brought on by excessive use of steroid creams to treat eczema.
1: It looks like you've had third degree burns over your body from head to toe. Red, inflamed, weeping. It's painful, it's itchy. It was very hard for her to sleep. It was always worse at night. It's very difficult to put any clothes on that don't itch you. Life's pretty tough.
2: Claire could only work intermittently, so Tom supported them both, spending money to try to find the right treatment for Claire and still determinedly trying to save for his trip.
1: We didn't really know so much about the condition at the time, so I just took the attitude of, it's going to get better so, yeah, we just tightened up our belts a bit and carried on.
2: Then, three months before their departure date, Ben's grandmother fell ill, and he and Agata dropped out.
1: Ben certainly was the guy who I was, like, really glad to have him on the team because I knew what I don't know, he knows. So then I was kind of left with a team of less experienced climbers, which worried me a little bit, but I thought, well, yeah, it's all going to be
2: fine. Just before Christmas, two months out, Claire's condition got so bad, she had to leave Spain and move back in with her parents in Somerset, England. Then, a month before the trip, Matt, the filmmaker, and the second most experienced climber pulled out, which left just Tom, Claire, and Martin. Martin had been to Cochumbo before, but only to hike. He'd been climbing for a few years, but had just started trad climbing. Claire had climbed off and on for a few years too, but had also placed very little of her own gear. And since even food could aggravate her skin, the condition had left her weak and substantially underweight.
1: She was really in two minds about whether to go. And I said to her, look, you don't know how long this condition's going to last, but if it's going to last for potentially years, then really you've got to go. You can't just start not doing things that you want to do in your life, which she agreed with
2: at any point did you consider not going or postponing your trip taking it as a sign that you shouldn't go
1: right at the very start when I decided to do this project I made the decision that whatever happened I was going to go and if it meant that I had to go on my own then I would still go I would, I would just try and find someone out there to climb with so it felt to me like overcoming the first hurdles Yeah, I had to go out and try. I really had to.
2: (laughs) In January, Tom and Claire met Martin in Santiago and traveled together to Puerto Montt, the last big town outside of Cochmo. And while Martin waited for his last piece of luggage... Claire and Tom started the hike into the campground.
1: And I'll be honest, the first time up the trail was pretty hard. It's not so steep, but it's quite muddy and humid. And I guess we weren't really that fit. I'd basically just been working for a month solid. Claire was totally out of shape. But maybe half an hour before you arrive in the campground, you actually get a peek at some of the granite walls. And it just, it felt like coming home.
2: The airline eventually tracked down Martin's lost bag and he joined the other two at La campsite. But the next few days started off rocky. The party of three set up one of the established intro routes.
1: I wanted to go up that route and find it easy. And we went up it and found it really hard and I was thinking, okay, we're not ready for this style of climbing yet.
2: Did you spend some more time there? Did you do other routes to get in shape? No.
1: <laughs> As a group, I think we were quite close to saying we're not ready to try and do a first ascent here. So I decided let's hike out and just have a look at it and see how it makes us feel. And the day that we hiked out, it was pretty clear blue skies we were carrying light packs for the first time so it felt really easy hiking out there and we sat and looked at this wall and it was everything that I'd dreamed of it's a towering imposing wall, the last three to four hundred metres are overhung at the top so it it looks like a huge grey tidal wave of rock over a thousand metres tall and there were only five routes on it none of which had ever been repeated and some of the best looking lines on it were still there to be climbed and we basically just spent the afternoon sitting looking through our telescope and binoculars and I think we all really got a buzz off that and I'll be honest I think Claire and Martin were still looking at it thinking this is ridiculous we can't get up that <laughs> but I didn't need any convincing I knew that that was the wall we were going to go up I felt it
2: The line that the team had picked out followed a crack system up the 3,400-foot face of the granite giant Cerro Capicua. Tom, Claire, and Martin planned to climb 1,500 feet up an established route to Plaza Catalunya, a massive ledge, 30 feet deep, 300 feet long, with trees to block the wind and running water. They'd make camp there and then start up into the unknown. Three days after they checked out the line, the climbers began hiking their gear to the base of the wall. They figured that rather than spend time in good weather trying to get comfortable on the rock, they'd just start climbing the route and hope they got good at it by the time it got hard.
1: So that was the plan.
2: Needless to say, things did not start out well. The first day, they hiked their gear to the base of the wall and fixed lines up the first two pitches. The next morning, they ascended the ropes, hauled their gear, and Tom set off up the third pitch. And as I'm
1: leading up, I hear this huge rumble that sounds like it could be rockfall, but it also kind of sounds like thunder. But we had clear blue skies, we had a good forecast, it kind of didn't really fit. So I carried on climbing, and by the time I'd finished that pitch, it was chucking it down with rain, and there was a full-on electrical storm. So uh, we had to hastily set up the portal edge and sit out the rain for a night.
2: The next morning, the rock dried, and the team began to work their way upward again. They realized quickly that the way they planned to haul their gear made hauling atrocious. They had one haul bag and about three bags worth of gear, which meant that every time they hauled a pitch, they had to unpack the bag, go back down, repack the bag, and haul again. Twice. Seven pitches in, Claire was cleaning a pitch when, due to a miscommunication, she got her foot tangled in the rope and wound up with a nasty, sprained ankle that started immediately to balloon. They weighed their options and decided that if they went down, she'd have to hike an hour down to the campsite, cross a river, then hike another four hours back to the village on her injured ankle. Whereas if they continued up two more pitches to Plaza Catalunya, she could rest for as long as she needed. But the next pitch turned out to be the crux of the section and by the time Tom got scared, bailed, then struggled his way up to the top he decided it was too dark to climb the final pitch to the ledge. The next morning they finally reached Plaza Catalunya. The first nine pitches had taken them three and a half days.
1: It should really have only taken a day. (laughs) We were pretty exhausted and we'd only done the easy bit. So yeah, it was quite a wake-up call for sure.
2: So by the time you got there, was, was there a point then where you were wondering if you should be there or, or did you just decide that you would keep going until you couldn't?
1: Yeah, I guess the sort of elation of being there and looking up at this beautiful rock above and the excitement of it and also Plaza Catalunya is a huge ledge. The relative comfort of being there it filled us with hope again. We'd been through some unfortunate setbacks, but we'd got there, we had all our supplies there, and yeah, we were all ready to carry on.
2: From the ledge, Tom started up the first pitch of Unclimbed Rock.
1: I swung over. And placed my first ever piton.
2: Really? Your first ever piton?
1: Yeah, my first ever. (laughs) And I had a very poor set of pitons for the job. I could never get them more than about an inch into the crack. So I was basically just tying sets of two or three wobbly pitons together and hoping they wouldn't come out. So it was all quite exciting.
2: (laughs) But from Plaza Catalunya on up, the team was joined by a couple of guests that would show up unexpectedly and help soothe their frayed nerves.
1: There were two hummingbirds, I guess a male and a female. They just came and checked us out. They were real beautiful little creatures, very inquisitive.
2: They never stayed long enough for anyone to get a picture, but always seemed to show up at just the right moments.
1: Every time I was getting like really freaked out, it seemed the, the hummingbird just came in And I'd just hear it behind me, and I'd turn around, and it'd just be there, totally chilled out, just watching me, seeing what was going on. And it totally put me at rest again.
2: The team did not move quickly. Martin didn't want to lead any of the aid pitches. Claire had to rest her ankle, and so leading fell to Tom. And most of the pitches took him two or three hours.
1: I think it was the third pitch above the ledge, and i just been freaked out, freaked out, freaked out. And then I just got to this loose flake and I just, I couldn't handle it. I was just like, right, I'm coming down. I'm taking a rest. And I, you know, I literally got down and just went to sleep for an hour or something. And I was kind of lying there in the sun, half awake, looking up at this route. And I was suddenly really fully aware of the fact that if I don't get back up there and start leading, nothing's happening. You know, I just had to really get my shit together. So I did, and from that point onwards, I think I had a little bit more toughness for it.
2: The next morning, it rained again. Tom, Martin, and Claire sat under a tarp and made breakfast. All of them knew it was time to go down. Claire's ankle had healed enough for the hike out to camp, but not enough to do much on the wall. And they didn't know how long the rain would trap them under the tarp, eating through the supplies they'd wrestled up to the ledge. But they'd worked so hard to get that far that none of them wanted to break the silence and make the call.
1: It is hard to bail especially when you're the person who's driving things forward. But uh, the rain got heavier and heavier and it just suddenly became clear to me. It was like, okay, this has to be my decision. I need to go back and just take responsibility for the fact that we are going down. I can't wait for someone else to say it.
2: As soon as Tom broke the news, the three of them jumped to action. But what they didn't realise until a little late was that the route they had taken up to the ledge ascends the line carved out by water running down the wall.
1: So... At one point on a hanging belay, I was actually up to my knees in water on a vertical wall.
2: The team made it to the ground and started the trudge toward the place where they normally cross the river.
1: As we got down further, I could hear the river from a place where I knew that I couldn't hear the river before. All of the walls around there just turn into waterfalls as soon as it starts raining, and it's all coming down into this river. And we got down to the place where we usually crossed, and it was just impossible. So we started hunting up and down, and it started to get dark, so getting a little bit panicked.
2: Eventually, Martin did find a way across the river, and Claire and Tom followed, clinging to each other through the waist high current.
1: And I I was really fully 100% aware that one false slip and we'd both be gone. So, I mean, we made it across, but it really felt too far out of my control. I didn't like it.
2: On the walk back from the river to camp, Claire announced that she wasn't going back up on the wall.
1: And I was very sad that she wasn't going to come up. She had fought through more to get there than any of us, really, really and truly. But at the same time, I understood...
2: Tom and Martin waited for the storm to clear, then headed back up toward Plaza Catalunya. They got a late start, but figured they'd get as high as they could, then just bivy again somewhere on those first nine pitches. They made it about 750 feet off the ground before darkness fell over the valley, and they decided to set up camp. Martin tried to hand Tom his sleeping bag, but Tom had both of his hands busy.
1: And then I just heard, it's such a sickening noise, the, the sound of a sleeping bag bouncing down rock. <laughs> and I turned around to just watch it roll over the edge.
2: Tom spent a few hours swinging around an overgrown part of the wall with a headlamp before he lost hope and crawled into a plastic bag in all of his clothes. After shivering out the night, Tom and Martin bailed back to camp.
1: People in that campsite are just so loving and helpful and friendly. It's such a beautiful community there of climbers. And within 20 minutes, I had two sleeping bags offered to me.
2: Tom and Martin also picked up another critical piece of equipment back in camp. A third team member, a tall, skinny South African named Barry.
1: Really, the two of us wasn't enough to do the job. We needed the third person. And it's almost like it had to be something that serious (laughs) to bring us down. So it kind of felt like... It was meant to be in some way.
2: Tom, Martin, and Barry set out the next morning, and for the first time, they made it to Plaza Catalunya in a single day. For the most part, this new team made steady progress upward. On day five, it started to rain again, forcing them back under the tarp on Plaza Catalunya. But this time, with their ropes fixed higher on the wall, they decided to wait it out.
1: We had space to sleep, but The rest of our waking day was spent under this tarp and we just had this tiny little slot to sit in so we were just sat there getting cold, looking at the rain and listening to the relentless drum of rain on plastic and just staring at the food and trying not to eat it.
2: After three days of rain, the skies finally cleared and the rock dried. Eight days in, they found another bivy ledge, hauled their gear up with a slightly more efficient system, and set up a high camp. From there, they made slow and steady progress until they hit the headwall, a crack that looked easy from the ground but turned out to be 80 metres of hard, overhung crack climbing.
1: And it turned out to be the hardest aiding and the longest lead that I did on the whole route. It was like the final barrier to push through. And when I reached the top of that pitch, I looked up and I could see sunlight hitting the top of the wall. And that was the first time that any of us had seen the top.
2: Tom could see that they had one more day of easy climbing, but knew they'd make it to the summit. And on their 12th day on the wall, they did.
1: It is one of the most beautiful summits, if not the most beautiful, that I've ever, ever stood on really was incredible up there not a single man-made thing in any direction you can see two volcanoes you can see a glacier you can see over to argentina yeah it didn't disappoint for sure and i'd overcome so much just to get on that trip in myself and and also outside of myself it was emotional (laughs) being up there for sure and just as I was packing away the last things, both the hummingbirds came up and just hung in the air looking at me. And yeah, it kind of felt like they'd come up to say goodbye. There was really nothing for them to feed on up there. So I don't know why they were there except for that.
2: That's when Tom knew what he'd named the route. Pica floor. The hummingbird. Do you think that you were able to put up that climb? Do you think it was luck? Do you think it was skill Do you think it was just hard-nosed perseverance? What What do you think?
1: I mean, for sure, there has to be an element of luck. You know, we picked a line that went. It could have just tailed off to nothing, I guess. I think because I, I'd sunk so low before I came up with the idea of it, and that had really been my route out of it. Although I knew that there was the possibility that we might not make it that wasn't really a reality in my head we were going to get to the top the only question was how long it was going to take and I think that boneheaded possibly slightly delusional attitude is uh, is essential for it really because it was too hard it was beyond our limits and we weren't really prepared for it and really so that should have put us off but I I had to finish it. (laughs) I had to finish it.
2: Do you think there's something to, when you're impossibly low, picking something equally impossibly high to sort of fixate on?
1: You know, let's be honest, there's no climb that's just going to be a fix for depression. But that feeling of really being lost and... Been a free fall, it happens very, very rarely now, with longer gaps in between. And, of course, later things that have happened in my life, like meeting Claire and changing where I live and my job, have helped. But planning to do that trip, it, without that, I don't know that any of those other things would have happened because I wouldn't have been ready for them. There were times when just getting out and doing my normal routine felt impossible and so when you're in that place if you pick something that would normally seem impossible when you're feeling healthy like it's no different and so in some ways you're kind of empowered by that if you choose to see it that way. (laughs)
0: Diaries is made possible by the good people at Patagonia. As individuals, the single best thing we can do for the planet is to keep our stuff in use longer. That's why Patagonia is introducing WarnWare.com, an online store for used Patagonia clothing. Here's how it works. When you stop using a piece of gear, trade it in at a Patagonia store. They'll wash it and make it available to someone who will use it, and you will get paid in Wear credits so you can buy something that you will wear. Warnware better than new. Check it out at oneware.com. Our support comes from Kuat Racks. This summer, get your bike to the trailhead in style with one of their good-looking, easy-to-use hitch racks or roof racks. Kuat. Because you love your bike. And support comes from our newest sponsor, Vossen Brewery, who just installed the fermentation tanks in their soon-to-open Richmond, Virginia Brewery. Follow them on social media to keep tabs on their progress and in their adventures outside. Check it out. Your donations really do keep the Diaries thriving. And right now, if you donate to the show, you can get your very own Dirtbag Diaries ringtone theme song on your phone. Seriously, the phone, it rings and you hear the Dirtbag Diaries theme song. Awesome. Just go to DirtbagDiaries.com, click the pledge button in the upper right hand corner and get stoked for your next adventure every time someone calls you. Thank you so much for everyone who has contributed already. A huge thanks to Tom for sharing his story. Tom and Claire are now happily settled in Bristol, working at one of the oldest climbing gyms in England and preparing for a whole different kind of grand long-term project, a B&B in the mountains of northern Spain. Good luck, guys. Music today from Kai Engel, the F'd Up Beat, ADC, Bicycle, Little Glass Men, Cloud Nine, Ken Christensen, and the IMG. The tracks are courtesy of Free Music Archive or with permission from the artists themselves. Jacob Bain and Nice Cotto composed our theme song, You can find links to the artists at our website. This episode was produced by Jen Altschul and Becca Cahal. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you have been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in.